Good morning, everyone. So glad to have the opportunity to get to be here with you guys. Well, that song was on fire. I felt like earlier this morning, I was literally on fire. I was upstairs, and I was so hot, and I got the underarm sweats going like crazy. And uh, I don't know why it's more on the right side than the left. I don't know if that's an age thing or what, but I got, got the underarm sweats going, and, and it dawned on me. I was like, I'm nervous. I'm so nervous about this morning. I think this will be better. My mom's not in this service, so we're good. All right, my mom and her friends, so we're good now. But I'm excited to share with you guys this morning. I really didn't have a choice, to be honest with you. Uh, Pastor Brooks asked me a few weeks ago. And when your boss asks you to do something, you have to do it. All right, so we were, we, yeah, hey, th- thank you, brother. Amen. First amen of the day. Yes, that's right. And so we were there in the staff hallway this morning praying, and Pastor Brooks was nice enough to pray with me. And he said, Lord, I just thank you that Jeremy's willing. I put, willing? You asked me to, t- I had to do this, all right? So my wife dressed me today. My pastor made me get up here. So here I am, all right? You know, they say that children are better seen than, than not heard or whatever, and the same thing's for children's pastors, uh, except for me. I, I'm upstairs. You guys never see me. It's better I'm not seen or heard, all right? But every now and then, they let me break free, and I get to come down here and share with you guys, so I am excited to do that this morning. Now, I've been watching a lot of basketball lately, March Madness and things like that. Great games on last night, and I've been watching some NBA. The NBA is getting closer and closer to the playoffs. A lot of older players now in the NBA, a lot different than it used to be. And guys like LeBron James, these guys are, you know, playing much older in age. And what happens is, because the season's so long, they play back-to-backs, they have an 82-game season. What happens is every now and then, they allow players to sit during games. They call this load management. Well, that's the same thing we're doing for Pastor Brooks today. It's load (laughs) management, all right? It's been a long year, long Philippian series, long Philippian series, all right? Christmas, the story. And he's got three services next week, and he looked at me, and he's like, I just can't do it. All right, so I'm like, you just sit this one out. All right, you got it. You're all right. So no worries, no worries. So I'm excited to, to share with you guys today. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little bit different. You know, it was Palm Sunday, so I was like, well, I got to do something on Palm Sunday. So I just kept reading through the stories, and it's in all four Gospels. And what jumped out at me the most was just the characters, uh, the people in the story. And it dawned on me. I was like, Wow. I can relate to so many of these people because everybody had a different view of who Jesus was. So today, I just want you to kind of be introspective. Just think, who is Jesus? Like, who do I think Jesus is? And what do I expect out of Jesus? That's the other thing you're going to find out. All these people had certain expectations that Jesus, who he was going to be, what he was going to do, what he was going to do for them. And I think a lot of times we're in that same boat. So I don't want you to look at any character and think, ah, that's not me. Because I think there's a part of us kind of mixed up in all the people throughout this story. So there's going to be a lot of pictures on the screen today. I won't have the scriptures so much, but if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 12. And we are going to talk about that triumphal entry, that moment when Jesus rode on a colt into Jerusalem. And he goes straight to the temple. And that's him taking place as Messiah as the anointed one. And he's not afraid to let everybody know. I mean, he's never afraid of anything. But here he is just being open saying, I'm the Messiah. But what I want to do is I want to go back one day, the day before Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And so we're going to be at Bethany, and we're going to find Jesus is at Lazarus' house. Now, you know Lazarus. He's the one that Jesus raised again from the grave. Lazarus was dead for four days. Jesus knew this family well. Uh, He even wept when he came over there. Uh, to help raise Lazarus from the grave, to bring him up. And so now he's at his, at his house, and they're having a feast for him. Of course, why not? 
If, if, somebody, if, I, if somebody raises somebody from the dead, you're probably going to welcome them with some food and bring them on into your house. And no, that's what he's doing here. So let's start in chapter 12, verse 1. Find out what's going on and let's see the characters in this true story. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. This is about a mile and a half, two miles outside of Jerusalem, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. And Martha was serving. If you know anything about Lazarus, he has two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha has the, gift, the spiritual gift of serving. That's what we always see, to, see her doing. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary, verse 3, Mary took a pound. Now, this is like a Roman pound, about 11 and a half, 11.6 ounces of very costly perfume, a pure nard, spike nard found in India. And we're going to find out in just a minute, this is very, very expensive. And we're talking about a year's wages. Maybe for Mary, it might be wages of her entire life. So very, very expensive, pure nard that she's going to bring. And what does she do with it? Well, it says, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house, and this is just John pointing out how many witnesses were there. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Uh, here's Mary, our first character we're going to learn from today. Mary is, I think, the, the person, the heart that we all chase after. Uh, she has a heart for Jesus. And you've seen Mary before in the Gospels. As I mentioned earlier, Martha's always serving. There was a moment where Jesus had come to their house. And Martha's busy serving, trying to get every, everything ready, so worried about that, you know. And Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha's like, come on, Jesus, tell her to get busy. We got something going on. You're here. She needs to be helping. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. She's exactly where she needs to be. And here she is again in the story, the picture of her at his feet. And feet in those days, I mean, they're kind of gross now, but they were pretty gross back then too, you know, because people wore sandals, their feet got dirty. In other gospels we read that nobody really offered to wash Jesus' feet. But here she is not taking cheap water or anything like that, but taking the most valuable item she owns, breaking it open and pouring all of it over Jesus' feet and then using her own hair, getting that close to him and wiping his feet. She was there to worship him. She didn't mind being humiliated in front of the others. That didn't matter to her. She didn't care what anybody thought. She didn't care how much money she was losing on this. All she cared about was worshiping Jesus. She did this before the wonderful sign of Lazarus raising again from the grave. And here she is again saying, thank you, Jesus. I love you. I don't care. Who knows? If there's anyone today that I would love to most resemble, it would be Mary. But honestly, I find myself tied up in a little bit more of the other characters. Let me show you. Verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who intended to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii, which is like 11 months' wages, and given to poor people. Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. You kind of see how much Jesus cares about money. I mean, he gave the whole thing over to Judas, right? Like, here, you take it. And here Judas is, like, you know, so worried about that. Judas, I would think, as you're reading this, you think, well, I don't look like Judas at all. I would never be like Judas. But as I read this, I thought, I don't know, I might be a lot like Judas. I mean, here's somebody who's witnessed Jesus do amazing things. I mean, he's been through all the experiences, heard all the wisdom, all right, that Jesus has spoken, seen the miracles, saw Jesus raise somebody from the grave. But all he can think about is money. 
And Jesus even told them once, look, you can't serve both God and money. You have to choose one or the other. I don't know about you, but I get caught between the two all the time. I have a friend uh, that I went to high school with. His name's Adam. We called him Cheeseburger. I don't remember why, but uh, the kid was brilliant. He was so smart, and we were in a club together uh, called Basic. We would meet at schools, brothers and sisters in Christ. And one morning, Adam came into Basic, and he said, man, my heart's just broken this morning. I just need you to pray for me. We're like, what's going on, man? He said, well, my Sunday school teachers, they own a coffee shop at the mall, and they asked me to come work at the coffee shop. And they know, you know, I'm decent at math. And, and so they told me, they said, anytime you can figure up the tax without punching it into the register, do that. And he was like, why would I do that? And they said, well, that way we don't have to go back and pay taxes on it, all right? And at that moment, his heart was just crushed. Here were people that taught his Sunday school class as a youth, people he looked up to, and it ruined their whole testimony because they were more concerned about money than they were with following Jesus and doing the right thing. And then they shared that with him. But I'm that way so much. I mean, I, I look at my bank account like you do, and I'm worried about, well, you know, somebody asks us to give something. I'm like, well, let's just give this much, you know. Like, I, I don't know if I want to give it all. But the contrast between Judas and Mary is that Mary gave it all. And Judas wanted to keep it all for himself, even though he had seen and experienced all that Jesus had done. Let's keep going. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said, let her alone so she may keep it for the day of my burial. I love that Mary is not seen defending herself. She doesn't jump in there and say, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me tell you all he's done for me. No, no, no. She lets Jesus defend her. All she's concerned about is just being at his feet and worshiping him and letting him do the rest. And that's where we should be also. Verse 8, for you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, this is not Jesus being flippant about the poor. Of course he cares about the poor. He would feed people. He would heal people. That was a huge part of his ministry. It wasn't exactly the reason why he was there. Why he was there was to lead people into a right relationship with God. That's why he was there. Verse 9, the large crowd of Jews then learned he was there. And they came not for, only for Jesus' sake, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So here's this first picture of the crowd. Jesus is starting to get more and more and more well-known. And more and more people are pouring into Jerusalem in that area, getting ready for a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so they're all going up there, and there's just large crowds talking about this. Yeah, we saw it, man. We were there. Lazarus was raised from the grave. Oh, I saw this. I heard this. So they want to go because there's a spectacle. Like, let's go see what this guy's all about. And I want to see the guy that he raised from the dead. I got to see it with my own eyes. You know, so they're all stuck up there. I don't know if you can see in the picture, but they're all stuck up there on the screen looking in. You know, what's he doing? What's he eating? What's he saying? What's going on? You know, why is that woman washing his feet with, you know, with her hair? What's going on? They're all so interested in that. Now, the crowd's a mixture of all kinds of people, people who do believe in Jesus, uh, people who just want to see the miracles performed, people who are just there for the show, people who are still maybe kind of skeptical, like, who is he and, and what has he done? And for a lot of us, I think we kind of fall into the crowd. You know, we're, we kind of we are part of this whole church thing because of what Jesus can do for us. Like, I know when I was younger, the primary motivation for getting saved, which means that you ask Jesus to come in your life and save you from your sins. Your sins are separating you from God forever. 
The primary motivation for me was, I don't want to go to hell. He's my get-out-of-hell-free card. I want to be in heaven. Now, for a lot of people, it's my picture of heaven, right? <laughs> I think for a lot of us, it's like, well, I can't get to heaven to see this person and do that, and I hope heaven's like this. You know, kids always ask me, are there going to be video games in heaven? It sounds really boring, all right? If you don't like worshiping Jesus, it's going to be a long eternity, all right? So let's be honest. But, but that was our whole thing. Like, I just want to be in the crowd because I just want the miracle. I just want to be saved. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad reason, but the whole reason you get saved Yes, it removes your sin. The whole reason you get saved is so you can have a right relationship with God through Jesus, so you can be at his feet daily. The whole point of going to heaven, the reward isn't heaven so much. It's Jesus. That's the reward. That's what we're looking forward to. But the crowd was kind of caught up in something else, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 10, but the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, Many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. So you got the chief priests, later we'll have the Pharisees. You got the religious leaders who are just up in a tizzy about Jesus. I mean, they're worried about him. And if you go back to the end of John 11, you're going to see why they're up in a tizzy about him. They are scared to death that Jesus is going to ruin everything. Yes, they've seen the signs. Yes, they've heard him speak. They try to catch him this whole week. They're going to try to catch him and and trick them, and they just can't. This guy's just too smart for them. Well, he's God. And so they don't know what to do because here's their worry. If you go back in, in John 11, their worry is the whole nation's going to turn to him. The Romans are going to come in and take everything over, remove them from their places, and the nation will be lost. That's their concern. And I got to thinking, you know, I'm not like the religious leaders at all. Those guys, man, I just shake my head every time I read about them. But then I thought, well, what if some guy came into here, some young new guy, you know, even younger than me, believe it or not. All right, comes in here, right? And he says, hey, you know what? This whole way you're doing church, we're going to change it. In fact, we don't really need you guys in your position anymore of leadership. We're fine. We're going to do this a different way. And even if it was from God, I would be like, oh, hold on a second. I like my job. Uh, I like my house. I like why I'm here. I like my paycheck. Uh, I'm comfortable. Don't come in and say you're going to change anything. So, yes, I can see myself in their point of view. Yes, I can see how they might stand there and say, this guy is going to ruin everything, even though he may be the only way to God. Because I think for a lot of us, if Jesus were to show up right now and we were to audibly hear from him, hey, you need to go do this, I don't know if I'd be willing because I'm very comfortable right where I'm at doing what I'm doing. That makes me nervous. Because I want to be completely sold out to Jesus. I don't want to be afraid of losing my spot or losing what makes me comfortable. But let's go on to the next day. The day where Jesus rides into Jerusalem. The day that was spoken about in Daniel chapter 9. I mean, up really, literally to this date that Daniel spoke about in 9.9. That the anointed one would come into Jerusalem as a king. The Messiah. The people knew this, and they were so excited to worship him and welcome him here. That's why he came. That's why he rode on this donkey to make that presentation. Here I am. I don't care who knows it. Verse 12, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. But you know what they weren't saying? They weren't saying, save us from ourselves. Save us from our sins. 
In their hearts, they were saying, save us from the Romans. Save us from the government. So many of us, like the crowd, we think other people are the problem. And and a lot of times they are. Other people are the things that need to be fixed. But what does God want to fix? You. That's who he wants to fix. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are around you. He wants to work on you. Now, how do I know the crowd's about this? Less than a week later, they're going to yell out, crucify him. The same people. Why? Because he didn't meet their expectations. They wanted a conquering king who would come in and take over. He's coming one day. And I'm ready for it, but I praise God he's not back yet because he still wants to take more people with him. He set up a kingdom now, but it's a lot different than what they thought it was going to be. And when he didn't meet their expectations, they would turn on him. Am I that way with Jesus? (laughs) That when he doesn't meet my expectations, I just turn on him? Well, my wife and I, before we got married, we were young, and uh, before we got married, our youth pastor did premarital counseling with us, and we worked through a book, and one of the things was having low expectations, so we talked through all the expectations. I'll tell you what, it's a great marriage. We don't expect a lot out of each other, and when somebody shows up and does something, it's like, that was great. Thank you. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't expect a lot out of Jesus. I'm just saying I think our expectations are different than what he provides. But let me tell you, he's going to provide everything you could ever imagine. (laughs) You just got to be patient. You just got to make it through this. He's going to do it. And if you wake up tomorrow morning with nothing, you don't deserve it, but you're still saved from your sins if you believe in Jesus. And you still have a spot in heaven waiting on you. There's nothing more you could ever want. Is that easier said than done? Yes, I feel bad even saying it. Because I know how hard it is to live it. Well, not not only were they saying Hosanna, but they said from Psalms 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, for it is written, this is out of Zechariah 9.9, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, we don't have the backstory in John, but I love the backstory of how he got this colt. He told some of his disciples, look, go, and you're gonna find a colt tied up, all right, and there'll be a donkey there. If anybody asks you what you're doing, just say the Lord needs it. Oh, okay. Sure enough, that's what happens. They show up and they're like, what are you doing stealing my coat? Hey, the Lord needs this thing. If somebody came to my house and they're like, I'm going to take your minivan, I'd be like, no, you're not. Yeah, but the Lord needs it. Let me, let me make a call real quick, all right? I'm on, yeah. Like, no way. It's amazing this guy gave the thing up. Now, Disciples had no idea what was going on. In fact, we see this in verse 16. I can relate with them a lot too as another cast of characters. These things the disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. None of it made sense till after the resurrection for them. But a lot of times I'm like the disciples. I'm ready to say, Go, go, go. I've got your back, Lord. And you would see the disciples, you know, the whole week. We're with you, we're with you, God, we're with you. Deny the Last Supper. Right before Jesus gets arrested, they're all like, we would never betray you. We would never turn on you. We're we're right there with you. And Peter's like, it ain't going to happen. And what does Peter do? Denies Jesus three three times. They all abandon him there in the Garden of Gethsemane where he went to pray before he was arrested. While he's in that garden, he asks and begs the disciples, please stay awake. Keep watch. 
They can't do it. They keep falling asleep. But he says something very interesting. He says, your flesh is willing, but your spirit is weak. And what does he mean by that? Well, that's so many of us. In our own power, our flesh is so weak. Yes, we can say, I'll live for Jesus, I'll do that. And I'd like to think if I was really standing in the fire and somebody was coming at me, I mean, I've had a pretty plush life, but I mean, if somebody was coming at me and it was either Jesus or my life, I'd like to think that I would choose Jesus, but my flesh is weak. It's only in his spirit do I have any power to live for him. Now, why did it change for the disciples? Well, as soon as they saw the resurrection, they said only the Spirit can do that. And then they were given the Holy Spirit, and they were able to do unimaginable things for God. The fear went away. The weakness of the flesh subsided. And they were willing to live for Jesus. If you can grasp hold of the resurrection, it will change your life where you'll be like, I don't care what anybody does to me. I'm going to rise again one day with my Savior. That's who we need to be. Verse 17, so the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. This is a big day. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed signs. Not so much that he had the answers to eternal life, but he had performed signs. Here we are with the religious leaders, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that they're, they're not doing any good. Look. The world has gone after him. They're just in a panic and a worry. The whole world's worshiping him. And that wasn't true, but that's what they thought. Boy, I tell you, these religious leaders, I find myself more and more like them. Everything's a panic. Oh, oh the person I voted for didn't get elected. Oh, th 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 this is going on in the world today. I just, oh, I'm so afraid we're going to lose everything. Everything's going to change. Oh, look at this, everything. And we just start panicking. And we forget that God's in control. And nothing happens that he doesn't allow to happen. And we forget that our eternal security is set. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit once we believe in him. And he's always with us. And we have nothing to fear or worry or even complain about. But we find ourselves there all the time. Because we're just in a panic about everything. The minute we see something changes, the minute we see the bank account start to drop, we start panicking. But in Jesus, there is no panic. There's just awe and wonder of who he is and the expectation of what's to come. Verse 20. Now there were some Greeks. I'm going to call them seekers. There were some Greeks among them who were going to worship at the feast. Now these Greeks represent the Gentiles. And in a minute you're going to see this would prompt Jesus to say that his time is coming. It's a sign that the crucifixion, what he's going to do on the cross, when he's going to become our sin, when he's going to take our payment and our punishment, this is going to bring the world together because he's going to die for the sins of the entire world, not just his people, but for everyone. Verse 21, then these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida. I'm not sure why. Maybe Philip had a Greek name. Maybe that's why they came to him. And they began to ask him, saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. When I was growing up, my pastor at my home church, First Baptist Hendersonville, in, they had a big pulpit. And right here, that was typed in there. It was engraved in the wood. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Seekers out there in the world today, that's what they wish to see in you and me. There are people who are hungry and thirsty for Jesus. And they need you and me 
to show them what he looks like. Verse 22, well, Philip came and told Andrew. Why? Well, Andrew was good at bringing people to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. And Andrew and Peter came and told Jesus. And here we go. And Jesus answered him saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus knows his time getting closer and closer. And then he says in verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Sure, Jesus didn't want to go through the pain of the crucifixion and the weight of the sin, but he was willing to do it because he knew when he laid his life down that the gospel would just explode and would make it all worth it. If you and I would be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus, if we would be willing to drop our life down, let that old life die, if we would do that together, unified for Jesus, the gospel would explode. But there's so much entangling us, there's so much distracting us, there's so much keeping us from doing that very thing, losing that life to gain a better life. Let me show you, verse 25. Jesus says, he who loves his life loses it. If you love this life here on earth, great. Guess what? You're gonna lose it one day. It's gonna be worth nothing. You're gonna go into the afterlife empty-handed because there's nothing in this life that you can take with you. And he who hates his life, continuing in verse 25, in this world will keep it to eternal life. If you're willing to say, all of this is garbage, as Paul said in Philippians, all this is rubbish, everything in this world means nothing compared to Christ. If you're willing to say, I can't stand the things that make me comfortable, I can't stand the things that I think make me happy, if they're not tied up in the Lord Jesus. If you're willing to do that, you will gain an abundant life, a life of peace, a life of no worry, a life of little fear, a life of hope, but so many of us are tethered to this world. We don't know any better, and we can't let go. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my father will also be. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. So what character should we be? Who should we be? We should be a servant. A servant who gives it all away is willing to say, here, Lord, you take it. I don't need any of this junk. It's all yours. When I was a senior in high school, I took my very first mission trip. And we went down to the border between Texas and Mexico. And we went over across to a place called Reynosa. And I'd never seen poverty like that before. And um, I remember people would have a home probably as big as this area rug here. Dirt floors, no bathroom, nothing like that. Bunch of people living together in this little place, and these places would be packed on top of each other. And I just remember wondering when we brought them Jesus, they were so excited. And I thought, how are these people so much happier than we are back across the, in the in the states? What, what what makes them so happy about having Jesus? Because they didn't have anything else. The reason so many times we're not happy, we're not joyful, 
because we got a bunch of other things keeping us from just having him. But a servant lets go of all that. A servant lets go of their pride and their place of honor and the things they have, and they say, here it is, God, it's all yours. Use me however you want to. I belong to you. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip ahead. I want to show you one other group of people. So if you'll go to verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Boy, if that sums up anything about me, that's it. And you may think, well, I'm not a ruler. I'm not a person of a high place. I think most of us here are pretty well to do compared to the rest of the world. Let's be honest. We got a lot to lose. We have a lot of high positions. We're afraid of a lot. We don't want anybody coming in and disrupting that. So we'll worship Jesus quietly and give him just a little bit, just enough. Not our whole lives. Come on. No, no, no. I pray you don't live in that kind of fear. I pray that I would not live in that kind of fear. That I would say, you know what? My life is about the approval of God. Because of Jesus, he looks at me and I'm approved, not because of anything I've done. What can man do to me? Why would I worry about man when God is the one who's in complete control, who has my soul? I pray today that as we look through this, as we go through this week, as we prepare for Easter, that we get introspective and think, who is Jesus? Who was he really? And how do I respond to him? Am I a follower or am I a fake? Do I know him? Do I want to sit at his feet? Am I willing to give it all up for him? Because this Sunday, we're going to celebrate the greatest thing that ever happened. And it's going to be a remembrance of that event that changed our lives forever. Will you step into a relationship with him, maybe for the first time, and say, Jesus, you are the resurrected Savior. I worship you with all I have. Will you step your relationship with Jesus further, maybe, if you're already a believer, and say, Jesus, this week, I don't remember who you are. I want to get rid of all this sin that entangles me, all these distractions I have, and I want to worship you at your feet. He's already conquered death. He can do that for you. One day, he'll come back and conquer this entire world, and I want to be right there with him forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for what it's revealed to us about your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for coming and losing your life for the Father and for us because of your great love for us. There is not a single person in this room who is perfect. Many of us are far, far from it. But Lord, you love us anyway. You want to change us. You want to change the way we think. As a spiritual act of worship, God, you want us to lay our lives down before you and say, here we are. If there's any believers in here today, God, that are holding on to bits and pieces of their life out of fear, out of worry, I pray you just help them to let that go. 
to use this week as a reminder of how powerful you are, God, and to use this week as a reminder of what you've done for us and to lay it at the foot of the cross and be done with it and to live our lives for you. Take us out of our comfort zones, please, Lord. Stretch us, grow us, refine us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that they've not taken that step to put in their faith in you, God, that maybe today would be the day that they would say, you know what? I'm sick of trying to live this life in this world. This world's done nothing for me. I know I sin. I know how desperate I am for someone to love me and to save me from my mistakes that keep me from God. And I pray right now, Jesus, you come into my life and save me. And I pray today people would start a relationship with you that would last forever. They're not going to be perfect going in that relationship. You're going to grow them and grow them and grow them and bring them more and more into your image. Help us, Lord, to be a church unified for you to go out and win the souls of those who seek you as a Savior, Father. Thank you, thank you. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.